You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome again to NSPS Radio Hour. This is Kurt Sumner. Glad you could join us today for another show. Uh, I have with me a couple of gentlemen today who are going to do a follow-up show to something we did um, a while back, a few months ago, um, regarding the Surveyors Historical Society Rendezvous. Every year, I think it's every year, I'm pretty sure it's every year, there's a, a rendezvous by the society in different places and tied with some specific um, event or theme. And uh, we always try to to do a show ahead of time to let people know what to expect and then have a show afterwards to see what actually happened. And uh, so this this time I'm happy to... Uh, to welcome Brian McGee and Richard Bennett to the show to help with that. Thank you both for joining me today. Good morning. Yeah, good to be here. I, uh, Richard, was it you who said you had snow, or was it Brian? Both. We're yeah, close well, both in the snow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we both had it. Yeah, we didn't get any of this, this particular one, as we said, before we came on air, but uh, I guess it's coming our way. Actually, the one thing I want to do, and I know you both will appreciate this as well before we start our show today, is to uh, mention our our great friend Mike Bash, who passed away just a week or so ago. Um, very strong leader in a lot of different ways, and I know extremely active and participatory in in uh, surveying historical survey historical society events uh, and uh, Mike's wife is actually on the board I believe now um, and so Mike was uh, an exceptional person we we did a little article about him in the newsletter last week just an, uh, a, a really really good person and one who cared very deeply about this profession that we all proclaimed to care about, um, but Mike was, was one of those special people. I, I assume, Brian, you and Richard knew Mike. Well, we met at the conference, um, you know, with so many new people there that I've never met before. We didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with them, but um, they were there, and I know they had a good time while they were there, uh, so at least they had that. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that he and Ann seemed to uh, really enjoy doing was getting to the rendezvous wherever they were and uh, just uh, enjoying the the events that were taking place and reveling in the history of our, our great profession. So I did want to mention that for our audience. Like I said, we did put something in the newsletter, but I want to make sure that we mention Mike and how much he will be missed in our profession. Yeah, As we started talking about... Yeah, very, very sad, no doubt. Um, in our last discussion, when Brian, you, I think you, you were on with Jim. I'm pretty sure you were. Yes. When yes. we talked about the rendezvous last time, we were talking about all the things that were planned. Uh, so it's always good to go back and think about what those plans are and and uh, how things came together. All the reports I heard from everybody, everything went really, really well, and so that that's good. Um, but. Um, when we were on our last conversation, we had a little bit of discussion about the Colvin crew and activities of the Colvin crew as relates to um, Colvin himself and to this particular project. So maybe either or both of you might want to talk a little bit about uh, the crew, just for those who may not have heard our show the last time. Uh, the crew was formed uh, quite a few years ago at the uh, one of the New York State 
land surveyors conferences uh, was held up in Lake Placid actually and uh, a, a fellow by the name of Kermit Remley uh, made a presentation on Calvin and get, really got this group started and we've been kind of following in the footsteps uh, through the Adirondacks basically uh, of following his surveys and uh, looking for his marks that are amazingly still out there uh, after all these years. Uh, we have little uh, recoveries from time to time where we go out and hike a mountain or a, a trail down to a lake to recover these old marks. Um, we have a pretty good group. They come from far and wide, uh, not just Adirondack surveyors, but um, people come from Canada uh, to join us. So it's a it's a varied group, uh, young and old, and people interested in survey and interested in history of the Adirondacks. Do you when you locate one of the old marks? Do you um, catalog that somehow, or you do a, a present day position? Yeah, most people have uh, some kind of handheld device. Occasionally, we carry in something more. Uh, precise uh, depends you know where we're going if we're if it's a fairly easy hike we can carry in some equipment we might do that um, but yeah we we try and at least get a handheld uh, measurement on it and we have that in our file basically we kind of consider them historical artifacts so we don't really publish that information anywhere but ones that we've located we've measured the uh, the uh, crew has a, a nice website that uh, uh, there's I think there's been 29 ish uh, recoveries to date, and uh, the first 14 were uh, just paper reports uh, that are with the uh, camp historian or record keeper, but the uh, rest of them are on uh, they can be looked up the uh, where we've been and what we found on the on the website. So what is that website address for listeners who may want to go there? Ooh. I'll look it if up. You don't know, we can look it up later. <laughs> yeah, I can look it up right now. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool to be able to provide that information and just be a, a part all of us I I think perceive ourselves to be a surveyor's part of history and, and it's one of the things we love about our profession. But to actually be able to participate in something like that I think goes a little bit another step further than a lot of us get to go. Uh, regardless of where we happen to live, whether our, uh, I guess, I started to say whether our area is history-rich or not, but actually I'm, I don't guess there's anywhere in the country that isn't history-rich in one way or another. Uh, True. Just because of the way we've developed. The, uh, the address is uh, www.colvincrew.org. And that's colvincrew, C-O-L-V-I-N-C-R-E-W.org. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, hopefully people will will go and and take a look at that site and uh, and find out what what you guys are doing. Maybe it'll give people ideas about creating something similar in their own area. And I suppose I would be willing to bet there's groups like the Colvin Crew um, in different parts of the country um, who get involved. And now, in terms of the crew itself, up until the the historical society decided to do its rendezvous. Uh, based on on uh, Colvin's work, uh, 
is there a tie between the crew and the found uh, the society previous to that, or did you guys kind of get together just for this particular event? Uh, there were some people that were members. Uh, I think it started at the Philadelphia rendezvous when they went down there. That was two years ago, I think. I think that's right, uh, yeah. So a few you know, people like, went down there, and they were impressed by what was going on and thought that uh, they could, we could do that up here, and uh, we did. <laughs> but we didn't really have an interaction other than some people were members of SHS at that point. Right. I Richard, you, I thought you started to say something. I'm, I'm not well, sure. I was did. thinking maybe it was three years. I wasn't positive, but it like yeah, I don't remember that exactly. If it was, I know yeah. last last year was out in the San Juans. Yeah, um, and so I'm not sure if the one right before that was the one in Philadelphia or not. One of our listeners may remind us of that somewhere along the way. But the timing uh, of when it was isn't really as critical as the, my question about the connection of how how you guys got together. And I suppose maybe that's the way it works with the society in in more than one occasion. People will attend and say, "Well, hey, we've got this really neat thing too." So, let's think about uh, think about doing that. When you, this is a little off topic, but being a, a music kind of guy, when you mentioned the one in Philly, and of course the that brings thoughts of the Mason Dixon line. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys are, are music fans or not, but there's a guy named Mark Knopfler who is uh, from England and was 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 the lead singer guitar player in a group called Dire Straits and does a lot of stuff on his own. But he wrote a song a few years ago called Sailing to Philadelphia. Familiar with that. Have you heard it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a great song? <laughs> yes, it is. But it's, um, it's indicative. I it was taken of, back when I first heard it. I was a little yeah. taken back when I first heard it. It was kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and uh, just I, th- I thought it was a great tribute to to the profession, and falls in line with uh, this whole this whole uh, historical side of what we do, and and bringing uh, information into people's consciousness about what other folks have done. Um, and and again, in this first segment, I did want to follow up a little bit, and maybe you guys can can re- 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 remark on this. Came talk this morning. Um, on the on the work of Colvin and leading up and to, to this and all the reading that that I've been able to do on his work and just the massive size of the the venue there where his work was done it just is mind boggling. It, it is very impressive and it's huge. It's like uh, the the park has turned out to be over six million acres and uh, and when he began his. His explorations in the Adirondacks, there were no good maps. There were, they had mountains where there were lakes and lakes where there were mountains. And no, There were some tourist people that there were some cartoon-type maps that people were using, but uh, it, it had to be quite a, an effort and a, an accomplishment to do what he did. And when now when he was doing his work, was were all of the, the calls, so to speak, or... Uh, location-based, like to the top of that mountain or whatever, or were there actually marks ahead of him that somebody had been in there to do? Well, there were. There was pretty much a wilderness, and uh, and then it's some of it is in the high peak region. We call the high peaks in the Adirondacks, where it's very mountainous and 
tough terrain. Uh, there were there, but there were really not a lot of calls per se. The uh, there was some colonial surveys done in the uh, late in the 1770s, and then, and then right after and shortly after the revolution, there were some uh, some further surveys done that were supposed to abound against the uh, colonial surveys. Mm-hmm. But some of the lines were really long. There would be a, a more likely call would be like east. Uh, east to a point 10 miles north of some other point, and then that line may not have been even run or only partially run. Uh, so put, putting these, uh, it, it wasn't just the, uh, it was were really two different surveys. One was the locating the mountains and the terrain, the topographic survey, and the other was later was the, uh, the land portion of the Adirondacks, putting the boundaries on, and for a lot of them turned out to be the state boundaries and, and the state park boundaries. Right. So they weren't really looking. Believe it, or, believe it or not, we've reached our end of our first segment. So let's go to break. We'll come right back. Got a Shonstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonstead.com slash NSPS for details. Merry Christmas from all of us at America's Web Radio. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. With Brian McGee and Richard Bennett. Talking about the Surveyor's Historical Society Society Rendezvous that was up in the Adirondacks this past fall, and following up just real quickly on uh, what Richard was saying before we went to break with regard to Colvin's work, and and you were saying, Richard, that a lot of the work they were doing was following just very directional type descriptions, and then I, I thought it was intriguing when you when you mentioned while we were on break about the looking at blazes on trees that were 100 years old, that that would be really hard to, to find sometime, I would think. But, yes. And, uh, and Depends on the tree, I guess. 
Yeah, well, there were there were there was lumbering going on. There were forest fires, and you know the natural decay of the hundred-year-old trees, and uh, the, from the original 1770 blazes, they didn't set monuments. There were no corners, or there were, they didn't set stone monuments or anything in the in the colonial period. They just marked the trees, and uh, they did have some field notes. So when they crossed a uh, a lake shore or a river, uh, Colvin was able to put some of that information back together. And then he perpetuated the line. Thank goodness he did it because he perpetuated the lines with the, with monuments set on his traverse lines and on the corners. Otherwise, so with, we don't know, I don't know where we'd be today. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that, that that has a big impact on on a lot of different things. And what was the timing? I mean, if I remember what I read about it originally, this was almost a lifelong exercise, or at least lifelong after he got involved. He, the the legislature gave him uh, the authority to start in uh, 1872, and he started on the topographic uh, survey and the triangulation to get uh, you know to get some points on the mountaintops and stuff. And in in the early 1880s, uh, they they included the land, so it became known as the Adirondack Land Survey. And then he started to, he had the authority to tie the uh, to tie in the and, and locate and determine the original uh, patent boundaries. And then he went on until 1900 when he was replaced. So 1872 to 1900. That's a long time. Yes. To be on one project. <laughs> of course, this, this was quite a big project. So, yeah. uh, but but still, that's that's a lifetime's worth of work. And um, one of the other things that that is mentioned in or the writings about him was uh, obviously this was really important to him. But if I recall reading correctly, he was really more about, I don't know if preservation is the right word or not, um, but in in maintaining the, the land and uh, protecting it. Uh, yes, he did. As early as 1872, he, he in, in his annual report, he wrote about there was a, what, what he called the gore, the great gore. And he, and he wrote to the legislature about using it as the nucleus. He wasn't sure of the acreage or the size of the gore, but he talked about using it as the nucleus of the uh, Adirondack Preserve or Forest uh, Park. And uh, he re- he understood that you know that the need to preserve the trees and the stuff to keep it was think of the water you know to preserve the watershed for the you know the communities downstream and the stuff. So uh, yeah, it was a very much a pre- preservationist. Well, getting to, to begin to talk some about the the rendezvous itself, um, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, planning. I know that there's a collaborative effort between the, the folks on the local end and folks on the historical society end. Um, I assume that was a fair amount of work for you guys. Yeah, it took uh, quite a bit of planning. Uh, like I said, they started talking about it right after the uh, Philadelphia event. So our first meeting was back in 2014, the spring of 2014, up in, at Lake George, uh, where we got together. Uh, we got, had Chaz come up as well. Chaz Langan was uh, heavily involved in the rendezvous. He still is, actually. Uh, he is uh, probably the 
one guy that knows most about it, and we called on him to help us get going. But we had a dedicated crew of, I don't know, 10 or 12 people uh, that started us off and pretty much stayed with us the whole time, luckily, because <laughs> it was a, really a group effort to get it all done. Jim Vienna was our chairman, and he really kept us on task uh, to get all the details worked out. It's quite an effort to put one on and um, really kind of nerve-wracking at the end there, not knowing how it's all going to turn out, but uh, it went pretty well. We had uh, over 200 people there, which was a pretty good turnout uh, from all over the country, 26 different states, I believe were represented. People came from California, Oregon, and Washington State, as well as all over the East Coast. We had people, our dedicated crew from Canada came down. Um, we had someone from the United Kingdom here this year, as well as Mr. Brock, who seems to make most of these all the way from Australia. Yeah, John is is quite the uh, the traveler for these kind of things. He's he's been uh, in the country a lot of different times doing. I know he's back when we were doing the the big conferences that that we did for years. He came and was quite often a speaker uh, during our conferences. So yeah, you're right. He's he's a real traveler and an interesting guy for sure. Um, Chaz is a well known figure here. He our office is within. Well, 20 miles or less of where he lives, and so he comes by quite often. He's really active in the, the in particular the District of Columbia Association. I'm, I'm sure you know about him that he spent a good part of his career surveying in the district, and uh, so he's very very involved there. But but Chaz is one of those guys you want on your team. Uh, yeah. that's for sure because he's really dedicated to the cause and and. Uh, he he's as people would say he has the stick to itiveness. I guess he's he will stay right there and make sure things get done. So you you had someone good to work with, that's for sure. You know, uh, we it, also had help from uh, Melinda Gilpin oh, yeah. at the Ohio organization. Uh, she really did a lot of the paperwork for us, the background of the run all, all the attendance and financial reports for us, and we really appreciate that getting done as well. Yeah, Melinda's been doing a good job for several years with the Ohio Surveying Society, and she just took on, I think this is the second year maybe or the third year, I don't recall. Time goes so fast as as you get older and your grandchildren start being as old as you are, um, or as old as you think you should be, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, Melinda is certainly a good person to work with as well. Yeah, I, I noticed in the program there was a, a, a session held on the, the PBS video, the Fur Plant Coven. Can you tell us about that? Uh, a local filmmaker and photographer, Bill Killian, Killen, uh, created this film basically out of his own pocket. Uh, it was intended to be a PBS type video. It was about uh, 50 to 55 minutes 
long, and I think we had the grand uh, premiere at, at our welcome reception on Wednesday night. It would, it's uh, it, it was beautifully photographed for sure. Uh, he had a lot of uh, Adirondack uh, photography in there, and a good. It was it was about Calvin and his how he had uh, helped the Adirondack Park get get going. So it was about his work in general. Not, not just the survey portion. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't specifically set out to be uh, about the survey itself. It was more Adirondack Park related and how Calvin had his effect on it. I see. But the, the name of the film was called Calvin. Okay. So it was it done specifically for PBS, or did did Mr. Killian do it and? allowed them to use it. Maybe you don't know that answer. I, well, I was just curious if people right wanted to get a copy of it, if that was possible, I guess. He's working on that right now. Okay. Uh, that hasn't come out yet. Uh, it hasn't been broadcast yet either. He's still attempting to get that aired. Uh, but he did uh, have it completed, and it's, it's, it is ready to go out. And he is in the process of trying to get uh, DVDs made to have those for sale at some point in the near future. Well, that'll be good. If when that's available, maybe I can and get that information from him and make it available. To, we can send it out to our uh, newsletter or something if if he's interested in doing that. Yeah, we can do that. I think there'll be a lot of people that would might want to see that. Now, I understand too, and I, actually, I'm a little jealous, frankly, because I had previous commitments, so I wasn't able to come up, and I haven't been up in that area for a few years, or at least around where your venue was. Uh, I have been there before and and love the place, um, but uh, it, it'd be hard to find a, a, a nicer setting than what you what you guys were able to set up for the, for the event. It worked out. Uh, the weather was uh, pretty good for the most part. We didn't really have any bad weather. It was a little late in the fall foliage turning this year, so we didn't have all of that. But we had uh, lunch on Lake George on a cruise, and it was a beautiful day for that trip. And Friday we went up to the top of Gore Mountain, and that didn't turn out too bad either. It wasn't a perfect day, but it was it was pretty good. We had a number of uh, different types of equipment set up there for people to measure angles and distances with on the top. Now, was that a trip you were able to drive to all the way or most of the way? The uh, trip to Gore, we had a bus from Lake George, and then at Gore Mountain, there's a gondola up to where we had the equipment set up. And for those hardy enough, there was a hike, a short hike, uh, but uphill to where Calvin actually had his station was uh, up. Was uh, he had to travel to that on foot, and there was a number of good hardy souls that went on that. Yeah, when you said hardy souls that could walk up there, I I would probably fall into that category, but not so much because I'm hardy, but uh, it's because I don't do heights well, and gondolas might not be a good thing for me. So. <laughs> I've, I've done them before, uh, but always with trepidation. <laughs> so. 
But, there was uh, a couple of people that didn't want to go up on the gondola. Yeah, okay. yeah, I can relate to that. Well, let's go to our second break, and we will be back in a couple of minutes and follow up on the rest of the activities from the uh, okay. from the rendezvous. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Got a Seanstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Seanstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.seanstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to NSPS Radio Hour. Talking today with Brian McGee and Richard Bennett about the Surveyors Historical Society Rendezvous. Most recently in September and right up to October 1, actually. Now, was was one of the activities a trip to Ticonderoga? Did I read that somewhere? No, we went up to uh, the Adirondack Museum at Blue Mountain Lake, New York. Okay. Um, after we went up on Gore, uh, we had a stop where we dedicated a sign in North River, which is about 10 minutes from Gore Mountain, and we marked a uh, county line between Essex and Warren County there with uh, some members, a student, we had some student attendees from Paul Smith College. We had them set one of the marks, and I believe John Brock was involved with setting the second mark as well. Uh, then we went up to this museum. It's an Adirondack museum. It's basically uh, tells the history of the Adirondacks. Uh, one of the sections that they have is dedicated to uh, Calvin. They have some of his equipment there, uh, and we were able to see that as well as uh, spend some time there just looking at the rest of uh, what was on display. Now, that was a different trip than the one to... Um Lake Placid, obviously. Right. Lake Placid was kind of the Saturday trip after most of the rendezvous was over. There was a bus trip there. 
I think uh, there was 30 or 40 people went up on that, and they had a chance to see the Olympic Village and visit the ice rinks that are there, uh, see the ski jumps and Whiteface Mountain, where the uh, Olympics were held back in 84 and in 1932. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe it's been even back to the 80s since since that particular Olympics was was held there. Um, time time flies these days. Yes, it <laughs> you think does. about all the events that happened there and and how uh, how vivid some of them are in your mind. And that's Olympics of I, I guess like for most everybody, the Olympics are always something of interest to uh, to watch and and marvel at really at what goes on. That's for sure. So folks being able to go there is uh, is really neat. Yes. Well, in the program itself, um, I don't know if you have particular parts of the program you want to talk about. I mean, there were a number of of, uh, of sessions that were held, and you had, uh, I think, from my perspective, looked like a really good group of speakers. Uh, so maybe you want to talk a little bit about about that and uh, any any of the programs that you might want to focus on. Well, certainly there was a. Uh focus on Veriplane Calvin. Uh, Richard uh, spoke quite a bit about the Great Gore. Jim spoke about our survey, uh, or his survey of the Warren and Essex County line. And Jim Schaller and Bob Eilenberg were Calvin crew members, uh, spoke about Calvin and his life. Uh, but we also had other speakers there um, that talked uh, sort of in general about survey. We had the, William Skerritt and Brad Uter from uh, the Gurley Instrument Company and the uh, New York State Museum archives uh, discussing what they had on exhibit and in storage from the Gurley Company. And Milton Denny, of course, uh, gave us a couple of interesting classes on survey instrumentation and the deflection of the vertical. Um, Richard could tell you more about what was involved with the uh, putting together their presentations on Calvin. Um. You know the one the one thing I wanted to just uh, mention with the Gurleyans the the Gurley uh, presentation on Saturday morning seemed to be very well uh, you know, a lot of interest in it uh, people seem to really like that a lot um, the uh, other programs were uh, uh, I think you pretty well covered them really uh, the, uh, Jim uh, Schaller did the biography for Colvin in the beginning. And then that was followed with the, uh, the, uh, the survey procedures for the Adirondack survey by uh, Eilenberg and, and Schaller in Vienna. And, uh, and the, I talked about the Greek Gore. Milt Denny did his survey instrument accuracy. Um, we spent a whole day in the classroom, and then that was followed by a day uh, up on top of Gore Mountain turning some angles with some uh, a, a compass, a, a, a transit, Measuring some distances with an EDM, there were I think five or six different types from older instruments to modern instruments that we used. Now, and, uh, 
That seemed to be a... And that was for credit also. So that seemed to go over well. Uh, yeah, it always attracts people for sure, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, yeah Brian, you mentioned, the, or, or maybe you both mentioned, the presentation on, on the Gurley uh, instruments. Was that a historical perspective or... Yes, um, William Skerritt uh, is the one that has written the, a book. Uh, well, he didn't. He he kind he's kind of uh, the archivist, I guess, on, on Gurley. He's the expert, at least in our area, um, on Gurley and Gurley's production around Troy, New York. Uh, Mister Uder is working at the State Archives that has uh, acquired a bunch of girly uh, equipment and records from the Charles E. Smart Collection. Uh, that's their affiliate. He is affiliated with the New York State Museum, and a lot of that equipment is stored. Uh, some of it's on display in the museum in Albany, but they have so much more that's stored uh, and they were able to bring a few things with them to display and talk about. So was the with with all that history, was the Gurley um, sort of an, an instrument of choice for surveyors in the area over time? I, I yeah, I would that. think they were premier in the area and around the country as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly around the country. I just, I just assumed maybe that because of the connection to the area, it might have been one that surveyors there were. You find that to be the case in a lot of places I've found where you go, and groups of surveyors kind of, at least historically, have sort of gravitated to a particular type of instrument. And I guess a lot of that has to do with our whole um, process of bringing people into the surveying profession over time, uh, where we have our mentors and we tend to to follow in their steps, I guess. I, that that was the reason I asked the question, is if, mm -hmm. if that might have been the reason. Yeah, kind of a tie-in with Calvin as well, because he would use their equipment and use them for necessary repairs as well, since they were relatively close to the survey being done. And I know that he did use, uh, in his field notes, he, 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 he's marked down that his instrument was a girly... Uh, Solar transit, or or, or early transit, whatever whatever he was using. So he must have been using uh, at least sometimes girly instruments. Right. Well, Richard, you, since you were a presenter on the Great Gore, talk about that a little bit. Well, it was, uh, you know, there was Curb Remley when he made an address to the uh, International Career Conference. I think it was around 2002 in Washington. And uh, he 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 pulled an excerpt out of a, the Colvin report from 1872, where Colvin talked about this gore that there could be this great gore, and it could be the nucleus for the Adirondack Park. And uh, and then Jim Vienna asked me if I would do some research and do a presentation on it. So I really didn't. I started. I knew little, but in a, I'll try to be as brief as I can. Um, the the first line that this there was a a, a patent of maybe 800,000 acres or a million acres. It turned out over a million acres. called the Tottenham Crossfield Purchase. And the line was run by a surveyor in 1772. Uh, 
partially run by a guy in called Archibald Campbell with a compass. This is all that they were working with at the time, blazing trees and running a line. And uh, they ran the line partially from the northwest corner of the purchase, which was a point we call the Great Corner, and they went about 20 miles east uh, and stopped, and everybody was satisfied that that was going in the correct direction, and then let it go. And then after the revolution, the, the land to the north of that, which was called the McCombs Purchase, was laid out, and these, both of these patents were supposed to be able to, on the same line, but the surveyors didn't always, they didn't mark the line. The line was only partially marked in 1770s, so in the, in the 1790s, they finished marking the line, and then in 1800, there was another surveyor. So there was a combination of about five or six different surveyors who ran different parts of the line. And on the ground, there was two different lines run on the ground. There definitely was a gore. So at the, on the easterly end of this Totten and Crossfield purchase, there was a, a difference of about a half of a mile north-south that created the gore. But as it turns out, the court, a lot of these cases went to court over who am I, is it, is it the north line the line or is it the south line the line? And the court, court said there were no, there was no gore. There wasn't supposed to be a gore. So I think they, the court might have made a mistake because the legislature had given the Colvin the authority to determine the line. And then in the 1880s, he, in 1886, or so, he made a determination of where the boundary was and filed the maps and everything. But right up to the 1910-ish, the courts were still arguing over it, and they, it turned out there was no there, the title. There was no gore as the title was. Uh, you know, there was, there was a gore on the ground marked on the trees, but not on paper as the title went. So, uh, so in reality, there wasn't a gore. There was just a a surveying difference. Huh? Correct. Yeah. 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 Now, was it was this? Um, maybe you don't even know the answer to this question, but uh, was the was the gore, so to speak? Uh, a consistent width? I mean, is it about uniform all the way, or was it all over the place? No, it started out on the. It started out on the on the to the on the west end at, at the at the common point, this great corner. And then, as you went the first eight miles, there was no gore. Everybody beat on where the trees were marked for the first about eight miles. And then from then on, um, the first time the line was run. Well, actually, there was another property that was surveyed from Lake Champlain up in, in the 1790s. And uh, the surveyor, a guy named Tappan, uh, what he did it, he, and then Colvin retraced Tappan's line in the 1880s. And uh, so it wasn't constant. It got wider as you went to the east to, to as much as a half of a mile. And wow. then the, uh, a year or two ago, uh, some of us took a hike that... The half I, hate, mile. I hate to break in, Richard, but we've got to go to our next break. So let's pick up on that when we come back. Okay, Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Quick stakes. 
is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Got a Shonsted locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonsted. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Back for our final segment today on NSPS Radio Hour with Brian McGee and Richard Bennett. Richard, you were talking as we were going to break about the, the gore and how it got wider at the end, and maybe you want to follow up on that. And then I know we have two or three other things we want to chat about in this last segment. Yes, yeah, so as I was saying, the, the gore was a, it had a point on the westerly end, and it went to about a half a mile on the easterly end, and that's over a distance of, a, I'm going to guess, about 40 miles across. It was quite a long line, but half a mile in the... A year or so ago, uh, some of the members of the crew took, as a recovery, we took a hike up to the uh, this gore ends at an area known where, there, where there's some ponds called the Preston Ponds, and uh, we, took, we took a hike up there, and we did find Colvin's, uh, he, had, he had traversed up from Lake Champlain some 20 miles, and set a set some a, a mark, it took him about 10 years, first year he was there, he set a flag, the other time he went back, he put a drill hole in a rock, the third time he went back, he set the up the, the, a disc in the thing, and we found that disc uh, about two years ago. So that's cool. pretty impressive in a blowdown area, and uh, it, was a, it was a pretty expensive hike too. Just to, to imagine working up there, it almost killed us just to get there. <laughs> well, I know there were a couple. As I said, a couple more things that you guys want to talk about. So I'll just turn it over to you, and you can do that. Talk in any order you wish. Well, we uh, uh, for, on Saturday we had class in the morning, and for those that didn't want to go on the Lake Placid trip, we had uh, a trip right next door to the hotel is the Fort William Henry, so we were able to go in there and get a tour. It's a replica; the original fort's gone, but it was rebuilt to the pretty much to the spec. So we we're able to get a tour there, and they have activities going on year-round at that uh, fort. And then next door to that uh, is a state park, uh, what they call Fort George. Uh, There was a fort there, uh, Fort George, and also Fort Gage. And there's uh, basically remnants left, but they've been doing archaeology digs there uh, over the last couple of years and uncovering and cataloging 
different aspects of these forts then we were able to go with uh, one of the one of the guides or one of the people leading those digs uh, and have a detailed explanation of where we were and what we were looking at. Uh, these forts were in use at the time of the French and Indian War, basically before uh, the United States even was formed. So they go back quite a few years. Uh, the last of the Mohicans are f stored or uh, storied here as well, if you've read any of those stories by James Fenimore Cooper. Yep. The, the guide, her name was Dr. Lynn Holman, I believe. And yeah. so that's an ongoing project for, is there is there a time frame on it? Uh, I don't think they're done yet. They know that the last couple of years they've been active there. Uh, they didn't have any pits open when we went through there. I think they were done for the season. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they're going back again in, in this coming year. They, they did have a monument there for the uh, what, what, what the uh, tour guide, Dr. Lynn Holman, told us was the uh, site of the uh, oldest unknown soldier United States unknown soldiers. So it must have been a revolutionary. They found some remains from a, the Revolutionary War, and they're, and they're buried there with a monument. You know. Right. That's uh, something that they they uh, have memorial at every year. Yeah. Now you mentioned another presentation that at the museum. That that's a different one than the one you just talked about, right? When we were at the uh, at the Blue Mountain Lake Museum, this uh, Jerry Pepper, uh -huh. did a, uh, he, he did a presentation in the auditorium to the, anyone that didn't that wanted to come in and listen. He actually gave it twice if there what case there weren't enough seats. So uh, he, he, he it, again, it was another it was it was another hour of, uh, of facts about Colin and his life and that sort of thing from his perspective. Right. Brian, I think you yeah. mentioned the presentation by uh, Dr. Did you say Dr. Starbuck? Uh, Dr. Starbuck gave the presentation about the great forts uh, okay. in Lake George, and then we were able to uh, make that tour of those sites uh, after his presentation. Okay, so his was tied to the forts you were talking about. Yes. Yeah, I just didn't make that connection first. And then another thing you mentioned was a, a walk that you guys took. Was that covered in the two things you just talked about as well, or is that a different thing? Yeah, yeah because we're in close proximity to these sites, we were able to walk. Uh, Fort William Henry is right next door and part of the property where we actually had the rendezvous at the Fort William Henry Conference Center. So that's right on the same property, and then uh, five minutes down past there is the uh, state park with with the other forts, remnants of the other forts there. Well, with all this experience that you've gained in this particular rendezvous, I guess the big question is, are you ready to uh, jump on the Chaz bandwagon and become volunteers for the standing committee the Historical Society is trying to put together for future planning? Hello. You're asking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Uh, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to step back for a, a minute and <laughs> I, I try to catch up on my... Uh, I, I, personally, I spent a lot of time, I thought, a, a tremendous amount of time getting ready for this one, but I'm not the... I wasn't the key person. I think uh, Jim Vienna and Brian McGee and, and several others must have even been more buried than I was, you know, and I'm retired, so semi-retired, so uh, I have extra time, but uh, there, some of these people are still working for a living, so I can't imagine where they found the time. Certainly as someone that's been worked on conferences for a few years uh, with the state, it's definitely a good idea to have some people on the committee that were involved uh, with previous conferences. It helps to get that perspective. And if if SHS is heading that way, that's probably a good idea to sort of get. I mean, we kind of... Even though we had input from them, we kind of put this on as we saw fit, so to speak. Um, but if, if they're looking to have a more uniform conference, uh, you know, next year it's in Massachusetts at Thoreau's home at Walden. Um, I don't know if they have local people involved with that uh, committee or if this is all going to be done national by the national organization but if you're going around to different areas you definitely need help where it's going on uh, i don't think you can do the whole thing you know remotely so to speak um, yeah and, and having, i think too, having the, local volunteers helps oh yeah i, I would agree 100 percent because uh, you always need people not only from the perspective of having local knowledge of the area but in the case of something like the, the historical society events, always have a focus. And that's not to say that other national conferences don't have a focus. They, they do of a sort, but they're not necessarily targeted toward something as particular as the, as the rendezvous are. And it would seem to me that, that that enthusiasm that comes from the folks at the local area is just absolutely essential, and obviously that's true because over time the, the rendezvous have almost always been driven not wholly but certainly in large part by folks just like the, the effort that you guys put in, and I don't think you'd want to lose that. I mean, it'd be nice to have a, a, a central planning committee, so to speak, but but you certainly don't want to lose that enthusiasm that the, the folks on the, on the site have. I'm sure you guys experienced a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, I mean, our crew was dedicated for sure. Uh, you know, Jim and Bonnie Schaller spent a lot of time with us. Uh, Jim did part of the program. Bob Eilenberg did part of the program. Uh, Peg Jennings and Jim Jennings, along with Dave and Shirley Ware, were active. Uh, Jim and Dave basically installed the sign that we have on display there as a memorial to the survey in North River. See Donald Carpenter, uh, he's our historian, so to speak, and Chuck Lent, very helpful as well, getting us uh, through the continuing education process. Uh, the hotel was great. Uh, Rhonda Sullivan there helped us out all along uh, a long way. So we're very thankful for them and the Fort William Henry Conference Center. 
but so there was a good group, uh, twelve and plus people uh, in the in the field uh, that showed up, uh, volunteered their time as well to help us get equipment up gore and things of that sort. So we're lucky that we were able to uh, get that much help to pull this off. Yeah, I, you mentioned the continuing education side of it. I, I can certainly relate to the issues with that, particularly if you're trying to do it and get uh, available for credits for people no matter what state they're in because your, your visitors coming from other states and dealing mm-hmm. with the different state boards they're all over the place in terms of what you're required to do. Some are really difficult yep. and some are pretty easy. Uh, yeah. But that certainly is a challenge that that's, has to be taken care of. Yes, I, th- I think if you're going out of state to try and get a education credit, you really need to check with your state board before you assume you're going to be getting credit. Absolutely. Because some of those are lengthy processes for the people who are putting on the program. You know, the people right. who are going don't think about it, but it's it's a pretty lengthy process. So we're a minute and a few seconds away from, from being through our session today. I want to thank you both for being with me. It's been great to have you on and to, to follow up um, on the expectation that came about from, from when we talked last. And it sounds to me as though, by all accounts, it was a great success. So I congratulate you both and everybody who was involved in the planning process from the the historical society folks is, and, uh, and the great crew that you just mentioned that you guys had. So congratulations to all of you, and, and maybe you'll get involved in another one sometime down the road. Perhaps. <laughs> that, that that wasn't an automatic yes. Let's do it. But, <laughs> but, but I, 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 I'm sorry, Richard. What'd you say? I said thank you for having us on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I was really looking forward to the show because I was excited about the program and really disappointed I couldn't attend, but I, I'm glad to hear the results and that everything went well for everyone who attended and and for the society and also for all the folks there with you guys. So thanks again for being with me, and hopefully we'll be able to chat again sometime soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Okay. Yep. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.